Praise God. It's good to be together, isn't it? And it's good to gather together. I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, firstly. And it's just a blessing that we get to be together like this. Uh, so today we're going to celebrate Christmas as a church. And um, I'm going to open his word. And uh, Tom is going to be blessed to know that I'm reading some of the same text that he just brought up. So we're going to go ahead and read that again, though. I think it's uh, worthwhile hearing it one more time, but it will be a mirror of his intro. The Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, Luke 1, verse 26 says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. It says, to a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this be? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. It says in verse 38 that Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Later when she was talking to Elizabeth in verse 46, she has a, the song of Mary, and it says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Now, that was the account with the Lord through the angel Gabriel with Mary. And now we're going to look at the book of Matthew, where Tom just read in chapter 1. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, that this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, and while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, he said, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And finally, now I want to turn back to the, the book of Luke, and I want you to look with me. It says in the book of Luke, verse 1 of chapter 2, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius or something like that was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And when and while they were there, the time came for her baby, for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Wow. Very simply, those are, that's the Christmas story on the surface. That's the story you know. We know then that the shepherds were alerted by the angels, and finally the wise men came as well and gave him gifts. And then he went to Egypt for a time and came back, was raised, paid the price as Jesus, the Son of God, on the cross. But it all began right here in this story. And I feel like I needed to read, I just wanted to read Luke, and I wanted to read Matthew and refresh us, because I felt like when I looked at this story, there was a few things that stuck out, and stuck out to me for today. And I want to say that firstly, what I see when I read this story, and I'm reminded of the very first Christmas, is promise. I want you to say that out loud with me, promise. God is a promise-keeping God. He loved us from the moment humanity was conceived, and he made promises to redeem us from the grip of Satan and death. He fulfilled that promise when Jesus was born into the world. Last week, I brought a song to you, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, not one that you know, we think of probably as one of the top Christmas songs, but it's one in the mix, and it kind of came into my spirit last week, and I noticed some verses in there that were very powerful. And this week, I felt like I needed to bring in, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and here we are singing it today, and this is what it says. It says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which means, O Come, O Come, Come be with us. Come, God, and be with us. Ransom us, right? Ransom captive Israel. It says that they were mourning in lonely exile. Without Christ, we were dead. The Bible says we were dead 
in our sins, right? Before Jesus, we were dead in our sins. We may not realize it. You might be living your life, right? Who lived your life before Christ, and you thought you were alive, but then you had the revelation that you are not alive, that you were dead, that your life was meaningless without him, and the breath in your lungs was given to you by God, for God, and you were using it for self or using it for this world, right? And so we came to the revelation that we were in exile, and then the Son of God appeared and says, Rejoice, rejoice, God is with us. In the second verse, it says, Free us, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. These Christmas songs are so powerful, you don't realize until you stop and think about the verses of these hymns. Right? We sing them as sweet hymns and sweet Christmas songs and might give you a happy feeling because it's Christmas. But then you realize when you look at the verse here, it's kind of heavy for a Christmas song that free us from Satan's tyranny from the depths of hell, save us. But that's the gospel, isn't it? I want you to realize that's what happened, though. When Jesus was born into the earth, yes, it's a sweet story. And right, we picture the, angel, you know, the animals around and everybody's like, this is amazing. And, you know, of course, his manger is, is perfectly padded, right, with memory foam. Right, we picture this perfect little Christmas story. But what we must realize what was happening was is that God was entering into uh, behind enemy lines. He was entering into a captive world. He came into a world that was gripped by the, the grip of Satan. He came into death. He, you know, we, we talk about going to hell versus going to heaven, but really the earth without Christ was hell already. It was hell on earth, right? And who experienced hell before you experienced Christ, right? Some can testify that hell is definitely on earth, you don't even need to go there to experience it. Without Christ, you are living in a place that is, it is dark, it is empty, it is worthless. And we must realize that that's what happened, that he is a promise-keeping God. He promised that he would free us from the grip of Satan. That is ultimately what Jesus did. Amen. I want to remind you a few promises that he answered. 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It says in the book of Isaiah, what we were quoting here in the New Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says that the virgin will conceive a child. She would give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about this time of despair, and it talks about Galilee, it talks about the, the region that he came from Galilee of the Gentiles, verse 1. And it goes on to say that there would be a time that the darkness, verse 2, would be broken and light would enter. And it says in verse 3 that they would rejoice. And it says in verse 4, for, your, for you will break the yoke of their slavery. That's the ties, the chains of our slavery, and that Jesus would lift the heavy burden from our shoulders, that he would break the oppressor's rod, just as he destroyed the army of Midian. In verse 5, it says, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. A time of peace would come. Verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. It's pretty graphic 
language describing the birth of Christ, isn't it? What he really was accomplishing in the spiritual world. In the physical world, it's a baby being born. But in the spiritual world, there was something supernatural happening, something even graphic, something bloody, and it's this. there's a war that is, was on since you were born, right, for your soul, and you are fully aware of it, but he rescued you, he broke the bondage, he went into those places, those dark places, and conquered Satan on your behalf. And so it says the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Wow. That 700 years in advance, the Lord made a promise and he kept his promise. I want you to get that today. The first thing that I thought about when I was thinking about Christmas, and I'm going to give you five things today, and I don't always do points. I rarely do points, but five things stuck, uh, you know, struck me. They stuck out to me for the first Christmas, and number one is that God is a promise-keeping God. He made the promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning. It says that there would be a war between the serpent and the seed of the woman in the book of Micah, this is 800 years or so before, he says, Bethlehem, it says Bethlehem would bring forth a child, right? The, until the virgin gives birth. And so the point I want you to get here firstly is that God made promises. He made them over and over and over again. There are nearly a thousand prophecies fulfilled I brought to you I think it was last Christmas or the Christmas before that it's statistically impossible the chances for Jesus to fulfill all of the promises are just to fulfill seven of those thousand promises the math of it is so big that we don't even have uh, atoms within our universe to contain the math Somebody, I've talked to you about this before. If, it's, if we took the chances of Jesus just fulfilling seven of the promises, they took and they, they said, let's just try to put it in a way that your mind could grasp. But it's so big, it's so, it's so hard to even understand that if we took those, we took Jesus and he is a random golf ball, and we took then golf balls and we covered the entire state of Texas, some three feet deep. And you walked across Texas and you picked out Jesus, you know, the one golf ball of all those golf balls, right? The math is so big. It's so unbelievable. It's so beyond our comprehension. And there are prophecy after prophecy after prophecy pointing to Christ, to exactly this one singular person. And the point is that I want you to get today is that God is a promise-keeping God. He kept his promise with Christ coming the first time. He's going to keep his promise that he's coming again the second time to redeem this earth once and for all. And if we can trust that he kept those promises, why wouldn't he keep the personal promises to you? Amen. The second thing I want you to hear when we think about the first Christmas that reminds me is that God is always working. I want you to say that out loud with me. God is always 
working. So he's a promise-keeping God, and he's always working. I was thinking how God is right there in the shadows. He's always working in the shadows. You know, the world is just going on. It's busy, busy, busy. Imagine this time, right? You got the census going on, and that's what consumed everybody for this season. And right there, well, the census is going on, and people are eating and drinking. They're catching a movie while they're in town, right? They're shopping at the local village shops. Remember, it's Christmas, right? So, of course, they are. They're in Bethlehem shopping, right? The town is busy, busy, and down the street, in the back, with some animals, there's two homeless people having a baby because they can't afford a room, right? That's the perception. Um, that's not the real story, is it? But you realize that if you were to look at what was happening through natural eyes, sometimes God, who is so supernatural, is missed because he's happening right amongst the natural, right in the shadows of every single day, every single thing you do, the things that are coming and going, elections, people are coming and going, right? People are marrying in here, and people are having children, and you're getting jobs, and, you're, and it, it's all just moving and busy and going. And meanwhile, God is right in the midst of it. He's in the shadows working in every single circumstance. In fact, it says in Matthew 24, warning us about his second coming, it says that when he returns, it will be like the days of Noah. It says in Matthew 24, verse 38, that the flood was coming, but beforehand people are just eating and they're drinking, they're having weddings, and all of a sudden Noah's entering his boat. Hey, Noah, where are you going? But verse 39, it says people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working in the field, one's taken. Two women will be grinding fire at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. It says in verse 42, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. In verse 44, it says you must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Remember that God is always doing miracles. God does not take Christmas break. God does not take a vacation. No matter what is happening in the earth, you can be sure God is doing something that is furthering the kingdom. And it's easy to miss if we're not paying attention. So the second thing I wanted you to get today is that God is always working. Let's be more aware. Let's look at the signs. Let's see, right? Because the wise men, ultimately, a couple of years later, the shepherds, they paid attention and they received a blessing from that time, didn't they? They came and bowed before him and received just his presence, the blessing of being near him. The third thing I want us to, re to remind, be reminded of this Christmas is that it's not only that God is always working, but I want to build this bigger now. I want you to, I want to build on point number two. It's not just that God is always working, but it seems to me that God does the most dramatic miracles. I'm going to say, let me just rewind. God is doing miracles every second of every day. God is a miracle working God. 
He didn't just do one miracle and say, okay, see you guys. Hope you, you know, can figure things out. I'll see you at the end of eternity. He is always moving and shaping. Who is aware of that? But I have found, and my word here tells me a story, the most dramatic miracle of all time, Jesus, literally God entering into the earth through a virgin, right, to save humanity. The most dramatic miracles, it seems, are when we least expect it in the way we least expect it. In that moment when Joseph, he couldn't find a place for Jesus to be born, when they could have started to question God, I just began to put myself in Mary and Joseph's, in, in their shoes in this moment. Imagine you're in this moment now, and the census happens, right? And all of a sudden now, it's like, Mary, we need to go. We don't have a choice. This is not like optional. We have to go. Now's the time. Everybody say, now's the time. Okay, now, they didn't have doctor visits where they were like, well, you're at week 42. But they were pretty smart. And I think Mary was like, well, I'm pretty pregnant. And I think Joseph, looking at his wife, was like, I don't, you know, have the exact day or time, but you look pretty pregnant to me. And so I think in their minds, they were well aware of what might happen on this journey. And I think what's funny is that they had to go about 70 miles. No wonder she popped when they got there, because I remember Dawn, I was thinking about this, thinking about this, right, on camel or donkey or in a cart on a bumpy road. You know, they weren't paved. It certainly wasn't a smooth ride for 70 miles. And I remember Dawn, she's like, okay, Elijah's, Elijah our first, his due date's coming, Let's make this happen. Take me in a ride. We, I had a pickup truck with really heavy-duty rear springs. And when that thing went over a speed bump, you know, your head hit the headliner. But she's like, let's go for a ride. She wanted me to take her and drive her around because that'll speed things up. So no wonder she had a baby after 70 miles on a bumpy road all the way there. But the point is this, that here they are now. They're in the village and he's searching, you know, we know the story because of all the children's stories we've been in, all the Sunday schools, all the movies. But if you actually read the verse, it kind of just breezes over the fact. It just says, oh, by the way, it was in a manger because there was no place for him to stay. That's it. That's all the scripture says. Now, you guys have all the imagery, right? Because we've been taught the imagery by watching things and hearing the story. But the scripture just says, oh, you know, he was born in a manger, by the way. Do you realize if you, men in here, and women in here being Mary and Joseph, you just you picture yourself here, okay, the men and women, especially those who have had children, just picture yourself being pregnant, and there's no place. You know it's coming now. All right, now it's coming, and there is no place for me to have this baby. And now the men, just picture, right, here's your wife. And she's starting to say to you, starting to grab your arm a little bit stronger than normal. Starting to squeeze harder than normal. And she's like, find me a room. Imagine them starting to question, and this is why I read this. 
I read those verses because I wanted you to hear the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. The angel Gabriel gave her a word from heaven, and she acknowledged it and said, I'm blessed, I'm honored, I take it, and I'm, gonna, I'm your servant. Joseph receives a dream from God. And the dream is, I want you to take Mary. She is your wife. This is your call. This is your plan. Jesus is coming from you too. And so here they are now. They're in Bethlehem, and they're starting to wonder, did you have a visitation from it? Are you sure it was an angel that you had a visitation from? Well, you said you had a dream. Are you sure it, the dream was from God? You're starting to wonder, did God forget about the census? Maybe God forgot to book us a room. We all want to trust God more, but I think even the most spiritual men would be stressed out when their wife is about to give birth and you can't find a room for her. We're looking at this moment as stressful and maybe even viewing it as an attack from the enemy. Wow. How many times have you been in a situation and you're like, okay, I've got, you are forced. There is no avoiding this. You know, sometimes we can get out of situations. A baby being born, there is no getting out of this. And sometimes, you know, we're in that place. We know that God's with us. We know he's called us. We know he's a promise-keeping God. We know he's got a plan. But sometimes in this moment, you might start to wonder, where is God? And maybe even, is this, the, is this the enemy who booked up all the rooms? It's the enemy who did this. But I want you to hear this, that when we least expect it, and how we least expect it, God is actually behind it that God is actually doing something. In fact, God is not just allowing it, but God has ordained it. God ordained that every room would be booked for his purpose. God ordained, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, it's the next point, but the timing was ordained by God. And I want you to hear this, that God many times... All right, he's always working, but I want you to get this, that many times the most dramatic, the most incredible, the biggest miracles in your life, they're going to come when you're really irritated, really annoyed, when you certainly don't think God is in this moment. That might just be the moment God is about to do something incredible. And so that's the fourth point that I want us to get to. I'm going to bridge right into number four, that it's not an accident. I want you to say it out loud. It's not an accident. God does not inspire us to sin, but God knows we're going to do it and has Christ on the other side already, doesn't he? God did not ins inspire traumatic, uh, dark circumstances, but what he inspired was his answer beforehand, after. He's already behind it. He's ordained a moment for himself to be there when it's all said and done. Amen. Do you understand this? That it doesn't matter what you are doing, where you're going, uh, there is a pre-planned moment with a greater miracle for you. And the Bible says, 
over and over and over again. I'm going to put it in 2022 language. God doesn't do haphazard. God is not off the hip. God doesn't roll with it. God doesn't watch and see what happens. God is not surprised, and God is not caught off guard. God plans, and God acts. Wow. If that doesn't preach to you, I don't know what will today. That's preaching to me. Just reading those lines, it's preaching to my spirit, encouraging me. It says in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to hear this again. Verse 1, it says, at that time, the Roman emperor decreed a census. Do you think that the Roman emperor really decreed the census? Why? The Bible says, and we don't have all the time to get into a big study, but you know what I just read to you. It says in Micah that he needed to be born in Bethlehem, which means what? That means God needs to inspire a story to get Joseph and Mary, who's living 70 miles away. What can I do to get them over there? Oh, I know, before time even begins, Rome is now occupying Israel. It certainly doesn't seem like God. And God's going to use this Roman occupation, this Roman emperor, to decree a census. He thinks he's all big. He thinks he's the one decreeing the census. But God is above and behind it for the sole purpose of putting Mary and Joseph in a prophecy, promise-fulfilling position for you. Wow. 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 It's just amazing. And it says that they all return to their ancestral town. So Joseph goes there because he's descended of King David. And verse 6 says, and this probably struck me as one of the biggest things. It says, and while they were there, the time came. What a surprise. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Of course it did. They may have been wondering about the timing, but God knew exactly what was going to happen, and he ordained the timing for this moment. And I was thinking how time is ticking in our reality. We live in a reality that has time. God lives outside of time. He's infinite. He is timeless. I know we were just talking about this again the other day. Your mind cannot compute. Try to, try to think of eternity and what you will picture is a million years, a billion years, a trillion years, quadrillion years. Your mind can only even think of eternity in lots and lots of time. And you have to think of God being outside of time completely. I know our minds don't, it doesn't make sense. But he is not inside time. We live in the reality of time. And God, outside of time, has placed moments in your timeline who has experienced some of these moments that maybe you didn't realize in the moment and who wishes that maybe you did slow down and pay a little more attention because we would have been a little bit more peaceful, a little more restful, a little more grateful, right, at what God was doing. But there are moments in your timeline, even dark and traumatic, even what seems like abandoned moments in your life, but God was actually working and performing. He was doing something for a great miracle in you. Wow. The fifth and final thought that I want us to remember when we think of the first Christmas, and I will say, let's take the first Christmas and let's apply it now to your Christmas, is that God picked you for a reason. I want you to say this out loud. God picked me for a reason.
The world might think that you are insignificant, but you are exactly who God wants for the job. The Bible says that Mary, we know she was just a teenage virgin girl, just your average, if there is such a thing, not to God, right, but just to, to us in the earth, right? Every time you see a movie star, everybody starts drooling, right? Somebody's a rock star, somebody's famous, somebody's in, you know, some sort of political figure, whatever it is, and we all get weak at the knees, and it's like, oh, this person's famous. They're just a norm. They were born the same way as you, and they're going to die the same way as you. And yet we like, we, you know, we, we can't help but giving them extra honor beyond the average, normal person like you and I in this room. Meanwhile, Joseph is just a normal carpenter from Nazareth. In fact, he was a Galilean. Do you think that God picked him by accident? The Bible says that the Galileans, and I wasn't sure why, but they would look down on them like they were lesser Jews than others. And I did some research and found out it's because Galileans were viewed as uneducated, and they even would question their ancestry. And if you look, there's a little clue back in Isaiah because it's called Gentile Galilee. And that's because when the Jews were coming back from captivity in Babylon, a lot of non-Jews came back and kind of migrated with them. So when somebody talked about a Galilean, they weren't really a pure Jew. They were a lesser Jew to the other Jews. So it's an interesting fact that here's Mary and Joseph the least of the Jews, if there is such a thing, and nobodies. Just, you know, your average, the guy working with wood, the young virgin girl. But they were not merely acceptable for the job. God took this carpenter, an obscure girl, and gave them the greatest job of all time, raising Jesus. Wow. The Bible says that Mary was blessed by God and will be honored for all time. He says to Joseph, he doesn't just say, hey, Joseph, you nobody, you Galilean, you carpenter. He says, no. He says, hey, son of David. What a, the, the highest name that you could probably be given second to Jesus Christ himself, the son of David. Hey, son of David. See, the way that God sees you is different than the world sees you, maybe even different than you see you. And I want you to get this today, that if God is a promise-keeping God, if he's always working, and he's working in obscurity, and he's doing things when you least expect, I want you to understand something today. That you are in this room for a purpose. You are in the earth for a purpose. You are in your job, you're in your family, you're in the Hudson Valley for a purpose. It's not an accident, and God has designed it. Don't think that God can't and won't use you. There's no such thing as a nobody in God's kingdom. Just like Mary, as soon as you accept the job of carrying Jesus, remember, she accepted the job of carrying Jesus and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. You have accepted Christ into your heart. You took the same job upon yourself that Mary did, accepting Christ, carrying Christ into the earth. And the Holy Spirit overshadows you. And in the same way, your life is now, you went from the most insignificant person in the world's eyes to the most significant person in God's eyes, in God's kingdom. 
You were meant to be where you are with the people you are intertwined with, and Jesus is with you. I want us to take these five points, and I want to apply some thoughts. We need to stop, and we need to look. We need to slow down. We need to, let's take this story. Let's take this this 2,000-year-old story that is still so relevant today, and let's just slow down. Right now, God is doing something. Right now, metaphorically, Jesus is being born, right? In the same way that they all just running around doing their census, and here's the Son of God right over there, just behind that building where the animals is being born. Right now, in all your busyness and all your running, God might be up to something, and we need to just slow down and recognize that God has not changed. He's a miracle-working God. And that there is a blessing for those who came and knelt before him. The second thing I want us to take from this and just apply to ourselves is that we need to trust God more. We should be more confident that he is still fulfilling promises that he promised long ago to the world and to us personally. And we need to recognize that the annoyance, everybody say annoyance. You know you can't have anointed without annoyance. Anointed includes annoyance. I just, I can't tell you how many times when you're most annoyed, it's because God is actually dealing with you and Satan is throwing a hissy fit. And so you might be in a very annoyed moment in your life, but something spiritual is happening, right? The devil's throwing extra fire at you, and you're going, why am I even acting like this? Why am I talking like this? Why am I thinking like this? But God is actually getting the junk up and out of you. He's allowing Satan to do it, to create what? More humility, more uh, uh, a simpleness. You just to settle and say, I give up, and the Lord says, amazing, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Give your life to me, trust in me, because I can do something incredible with your life. We need to recognize that the, the dirty room and the accommodations, right, that right in that moment God is doing something. The greatest miracles in your life might be when you're wondering if you really heard from God. The moments where you start to question God maybe the most. You're, you're wondering, did he, did he, is this really God's plan? Did he really speak? You know, why am I even living here? What am I doing here? Why am I in this job? What, why is God doesn't, God, I'm supposed to be in this place and you couldn't have made me avoid traffic today and so on. But maybe right in that moment, God is doing something in your heart. Maybe it's to trust him more or a miracle that we don't even understand yet. People are making decisions for you, and they think they're in control. But really, God has inspired the events in your life to fulfill his promises. It's not random. It's not meaningless. It's maybe even irritating sometimes, but it's intentional of God for a greater purpose. And I want to leave you with this final thought, that if God gave us Jesus in an obscure and odd way, insignificant to the world, in a food trough for animals, and this was for his son, Jesus, then your life, which may seem meaningless at times, it is so important to God. It is so important to the plans of God. And Jesus 
who came into the world for you, if God went through all of this, and he organized all that, and he prophesied all these things, and all this has to line up for this very special moment, if God did all of that to give us Jesus, why would he give up on you now? Come on, I want you to get this. I'm going to say it again. If you went through all that trouble, prophesying before time, Rome comes in and occupies the census, all of these things to have Jesus be born, and it's not by accident. He needed to be born like an animal because he was the lamb, right? All of these things. We could really break down what was happening in that moment. We, I didn't want to make that about today, but if all of that was for you. Jesus didn't come to be born for himself. He came to be born for you. Then why would he forsake you now? I want you to, in this Christmas week, I want you to take this to, to your heart, and I want you to say to the Lord, Lord, I, I remember you, and I remember this moment. I re, I'm taking this moment, and I'm going to put everything else aside and say, Lord, what are you doing right now? I don't want to be so busy and miss right now in the busyness or the frustration. The census is going on, Lord, that you are doing a miracle in my life, and I want to receive what you have for me. I don't want to be just in the world. I want to be in your kingdom. And I just want you to, I'm just going to end with just a Christmas prayer and a Christmas blessing. The next time I see you will be 2023. So we're just going to say, Lord, thank you for 2022. And I just thank you, Lord, for this message that you're encouraging us and reminding us, Jesus, to put our eyes back on you. And you know what you're doing. You are fully aware, Lord God, of all of the ups and downs of this life, but you have a, a miraculous, supernatural, promise-keeping plan behind it all. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this year. I thank you, Lord, for every up and down of even this last couple of years, Lord, this season we've been in. I thank you, Lord, that you are building a miracle in our lives. And we're going to experience the joy and the grace and the favor and the mercy that you have promised us in this coming year. And so we just give you glory and we welcome, Lord, this year in with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to bless all of you, too, for myself. That's from the Lord, but just I bless you, and I thank you for this year. It's been another great year together as the church. So Merry Christmas. Enjoy your family, and enjoy your time with the Lord this week. Bless you.